Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I'm Jake Burns, an enterprise strategist for AWS. With me today is fellow enterprise strategist Gregor Hopa, here to talk about his book, Cloud Strategy, a decision-based approach to successful cloud migration. Listen in as he shares why he wrote the book, what it's about, and more. Gregor, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jake. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So uh, could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? So my name is Gregor. I'm an enterprise strategist based out of Singapore. And like all enterprise strategists, most of my experience comes from leading major cloud journeys or cloud transformations within customer organizations. So in my case, that was the Singapore government and a large multinational financial services organization. I also like to write books, and I think we'll talk quite a bit more about that. So happy to be here. All right. You are an accomplished author, and uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your book, A Decision-Based Approach to a Successful Cloud Strategy. Uh, Can you give us a little background on uh, why you wrote the book and what it's about? Yeah, and, and asking fresh authors about their book is always a little bit dangerous because there will be a lot of things to tell, a lot of stories. So you let me know yeah, which part is, is, is most <laughs> interesting and relevant. But in the end, it came actually out of a, a customer situation. So we were about, like many other organizations, to embark on a cloud strategy. Right, because you know, we need funding, we need support, we need management to know where we're going to go. We had actually, we were existing cloud customer, also major AWS customer, but we of course had the question, where are we going with this? So as I was starting to write our own strategy, I realized, oh, this is getting a lot bigger than just a white paper. And of course, it could also have a much wider audience. So that's in the end how the idea came. All right, let me put my thoughts on cloud strategy down. And I think it ended up at about 300 pages. So <laughs> there was quite a lot of groundwork to be laid. Okay. So I've heard you talk about, use this phrase before, a decision-based strategy. Uh, what does it mean to have a decision-based strategy? Correct. That's a really good question because that is the premise of the book. There's many enterprises, many organizations say, we want a cloud strategy, rightly so. But then the question, of course, comes, well, what is the strategy? Mm-hmm. And I give you a counter example. Right? I've seen companies saying, oh, we go to the cloud. And I'm like, well, is that really a strategy, right? We want to reduce our costs. We want to become more agile. Um, We want an elastic pricing model. These are all good things, but they're not strategies. And, you you know, I like to be a little bit blunt about these things sometimes to sort of wake people up. And I call these wishes, and enterprise would perhaps call them objectives, targets, goals. But if you're really blunt about it, they are wishes. I want to be in the cloud. I want to save money. I want to be elastic. I want to have better uptime. I want more agility. And all these are achievable, but they're achievable only if you have a strategy. So the, the tagline of the book is really the strategy is the difference between making a wish and making your wish come true. Now, you ask about how the decisions, right? So I have the decisions on the title, how, how that plays in. Hmm. And in our discussions of making a meaningful strategy, we decided really that we need to know what is the menu and what did we consciously choose. And when we say decision, like you could say going to the cloud is also a decision. But we wanted to raise the bar and say we want meaningful decisions. And meaningful decisions we defined as such that doing the opposite could have also been a sensible choice. So 
let's just say, right, you move all your workloads in one fell swoop, right? So your goal is you just move everything over, right? It's a meaningful decision. But for many organizations, the opposite could also be meaningful, right? You need to build up skill set. You need to try some things out. So you run some pilots. You move some workloads. You move others later because, you know, other constraints you might have. So both choices would be meaningful. Mm. So hence, you making a conscious, meaningful decision. And in the end, what we what we saw as the essence of the strategy, it is really the chain of those meaningful decisions where we could have gone left, we actually went right. And in the end, that is exactly the essence of the strategy that we chose. So it sounds like what you're saying is kind of figure out what the valid options are, like the options that can work and then choose between them rather than just kind of saying, we want to do this, we want to do that. Absolutely. And I like the word options a lot, right? Because IT, I have a famous slogan, which is, you know, architecture is about selling options, right? If you, because I'm an architect by heart. Mm. So if you have a good architecture, it does give you options. And, and in sort of the common sense of the word, but also in the financial services sense of the word, I, I warned, I warned, right? I spent five years at a major financial services, right? Financial options allow you to defer decisions, mm-hmm. right? You can buy an option to acquire a stock later at a given price. Right. So you can change your mind. You can decide whether to execute an option to exercise it the way we call it or not. But the parameters are fixed and architecture will do the same thing for you. My favorite example is server sizing. Right. So traditionally, right, we used to have a team that does server sizing, right? Some application need would come along and they would go on a like five week exercise and sort of figure out how much hardware you need. The sad answer is there's only two outcomes and the two outcomes are too big or too small, right? <laughs> too big means you wasted money. Too small means the thing in the end has, has performance issues. Right. So as an architect, I can give you an option. And of course, yeah, us as cloud specialists, we know exactly where the option goes, right? The option is you make your application horizontally scalable. You sit on an elastic cloud infrastructure. And now you have the option. When you need more hardware, you add more hardware. And when you need less, you take it away. It's one of the fundamental premises of the cloud. Yeah. And things like serverless will even do this fully automatically for you. The interesting part is no option is ever free, right? On the financial market, they're not free, right? They have a value, so they have a cost. Right. So this option will also have a cost. It has a relatively small cost in this example, but for example, you need to build your application so that it is automatically scalable, that it scales out. So perhaps you need to manage application state, externalize, right? There's a few things you might need to do. Um, perhaps you need better monitoring of what your scale is because you don't want the thing to scale to like a million machines because you have a bug in your application, right? So so there's a few things you need to do. So the option might be inexpensive, but it's not free. So the role in coming back to the decisions and the options is really what options are on my menu, right? So what is my option space, if you want to use a big word about it? And then which options do I purchase? Like, do I want to make all my applications horizontally scalable and have this option available? Or maybe for some applications, the option has little value. 
like an internal application often doesn't need to scale a whole lot, right? If it has like 10 users, right, just go go mm -hmm. for it, right? And for other applications, the option might be very expensive, right? I might have some really gnarly legacy you know, hairball, right? Where I say, yeah, I would like that to be scalable, but yeah, for the time being, I'll do that later. And that is exactly what the strategy and the decisions in the end are about. Interesting. You know, I think we could we could stay along this line of conversation for a long time and go down a rabbit hole because I do happen to know a little bit about uh, financial options, but I'm going to spare the audience a <laughs> uh, conversation about implied volatility of uh, architecture options and all of that stuff. Easy answer is the higher the volatility, the higher the value of the option. Let's leave it with that. <laughs> right. In an uncertain world, options become more valuable, like the scaling. If you have no idea what scale you need, the option of scaling becomes more valuable. And I would only remind folks, avoiding the rabbit hole, I would remind folks that we live in rather uncertain times. So generally, you'd like to have more options because the value goes up. And if you'd like to know more about that, it's time to read Black Scholes and other things about options pricing. So, <laughs> or my book, right? If you wish. So is there an options marketplace for architectures and cloud strategies? Can I sell my option before expiration if I decide that I'll never exercise it? So here's the interesting thing. The marketplace is really the discussion between the architects and the business. And that's really important. So the architects can offer options for sale. Right? I can say like, hey, I can make your application horizontally scalable and I can do many other things. That's just a simple example, right? I can make you platform independent. I can make your programming language independent. I can give you APIs that allow you to change services. There's a lot of options I can give you. Now, the marketplace needs to take place with the business because as an architect, I cannot decide whether this option is more valuable than the cost it has. I can tell you the cost in most cases, but let's say, uh, let's come back to the simple application example. I say, I, I'm an architect. I offer you the option that we make this horizontally scalable anytime. Now, you as business, you need to tell me how high the uncertainty and how high the scaling demands are. Is this a new mobile app we are launching, right? And we might have 10 million users, right, one week, or we might have none, right? We don't know how it's going to go. Or even if it's a commercial application, we're going to roll this out in many different markets over time. So we start small, we will end big. I'm like, aha, this will increase the value of the option. So that is the marketplace. And it's critically important that that's where the IT folks speak to the business folks because I don't know what your global rollout strategy is. I don't know whether Vietnam is a massive growth market for you or perhaps you know, it's a small country in Southeast Asia where you need two servers, right? That the business will know. And that is what the, I love the word marketplace. That's the marketplace that needs to take place. And that's where the decisions get made, right? That's where the decision-based strategy actually takes place between IT and business. Hmm. Right. So you're offering the business a decision as to how much they want to pay for how good of options they will have in terms of like being able to survive uncertainty, just like the financial options market. Absolutely. And here comes the important part. Right? I already mentioned this can only happen business and IT in, in dialogue. The second part is how do you pay for the option? 
Like in financial industry, it's relatively easy. There's always a formula to bring it back to dollars, right? In IT, we like to do that, but it's not as straightforward. You pay in several ways. So you pay in dollars, right? Sometimes there's simple effort, right? I need to re-architect my application, for example, right? Simple one, it costs me a certain amount of, uh, you know, person days, right? A certain amount of cost. The other one is almost all options that you have have a complexity price, right? You have to admit something that's, that's auto-scalable and we can take a lot of that complexity out. Like Lambda is ingenious in, in ways that it makes a lot of that complexity go away, but it's rarely zero, let's be honest, right? And if you try to do this yourself, it's certainly not zero. So complexity is a high price for enterprises because mm -hmm. complexity ultimately you pay for for in velocity and in lower velocity, like higher complexity slows you down. And in today's world, higher speed is desirable. So lower speed has a high cost. Right. And I'll throw a third aspect in, in which you pay, and that is underutilization. And that's a major topic you and I know we face with the customers, right? Yes. People come to the cloud and say, oh, there's all these amazing services I could be using. Mm -hmm. But then they come, it's like, well, but maybe I don't want to use this service. Like, oh, nah, their secrets manager is really great, but maybe I don't want to use it because what if one day I want to bring this to on-premise or perhaps to another cloud, I want to do something completely different. If I use DynamoDB and I use secrets manager and gateway and all the other great stuff Ooh, what what happens and then you pay with underutilization mm -hmm. right because you could have these fully managed services they're right there they're they're elastically priced you know they're fully operated and managed you off to go but you're thinking about not using them right and that has a high price and the last thing I will throw in, since we're on the option rabbit hole, just like right on the edge of the rabbit hole, this you know well is the price for the option is due today, right? If you want the option, you pay in money, you pay in complexity perhaps, and you can pay in underutilization. And the price is due right now because yeah, you will pay. Versus the value of the option is future. Right. Maybe you never decide to take this back on premise or to another cloud. Actually, very likely you will not. Right. So you paid the price, but you actually might not realize the benefit and getting organizations to have a much more intelligent conversation about that that is anchored in a decision-based discipline, right? That's anchored in a model that is established. That is a huge step forward. And I would say once you take in that step, your strategy is actually on an amazingly good track and probably in the top 10 percentile of any strategy documents that get written up in IT departments. Yeah, probably higher than that, I would say. Um, but perhaps I'm a cynic just from... Uh couple decades uh, in that environment. Not I, I would add that it seems to me that um, the complexity you pay compound interest on as well. Um, and we're all familiar with that analogy. Um, technical debt is a uh, very common term and probably an apt one. Absolutely, right? The complexity will slow you down. Now, of course, you don't like to be slowed down. So there's a great way to not be slowed down. It's called the shortcut also known as the kludge, also known as layering more complexity <laughs> on the complexity that you already had. And that is the downward spiral. Yeah. yeah, you know, I have a lot of simple sayings, right? I always say adding is easier than subtracting. 
And that's true in math, actually, right? Unfortunately, it's also true in IT. Yeah. And that is the nasty spiral of complexity. And that is exactly the compound interest, right? If you pay off one credit card with another, I have seen it, right? You're in a nasty spiral and that exactly happens in IT and nobody will bail you out. That is the sad truth. Right, you're gonna have to pay at some point. So if we boil it down, why you know because there's a lot of people you know they they they're clinging they're holding on to their their wishes with both hands right and and you know it's easy it's easy to have a strategy based on wishes and based on hope right um but why is it so important to have a concrete strategy to go to the cloud so in the end is you no matter how successful or big you are you will have limited resources Right. I always say, let's do the mental exercise. Let's say you're an enterprise has like sort of unlimited means. You still will not be able to hire unlimited people to do the work for you. So there are always constraints you're operating under. That is number one. And the other number two is, of course, the starting point for the strategy is your ass is situation. Like we talk a lot about transformation, right? Like any conversation we have, right? With our customers who, who wish to go to the cloud and are often along on the journey, the word transformation is usually not far behind. And that's a good thing, right? Because in the end, to really get the most benefit out of the cloud, you also often want to change your operating model. You know, so one chapter of the book is basically, if you take all your existing processes with you to the cloud, the sad truth is you're unlikely to get a cloud, you get another data center, right? And you get a very nice AWS data center, but I'm surely the last thing you wanted is another data center, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want another data center, but uh, how do you manage that type of transformation? So, so transformation is, is in the game and that is, is good that way. However, transformation doesn't mean tossing everything out you have and replacing it with something completely different, especially on the business side, right? You will have existing assets. Now you will have um, existing strength in the market. So this is also, those are voluntary constraints you choose, right? If you're the market leader in a certain segment, you don't want to have a strategy that, that throws that out of the, the window. Right. And I give you a very concrete example, right? Financial services, let's stay close to home. Large bank operating in many markets. One of their strengths is that they can do very efficient and direct transaction between many, many countries where other banks won't even have a presence. Right. right. Fantastic competitive advantage. If you're a global business operating around the globe, yeah, whether it's you know, South America, Africa, et cetera, right, being able to transact easily is actually a huge differentiator for them. Mm -hmm. Now comes a very interesting aspect. The way they achieve that is by building a giant monolith. Right. And of course, you know, the goosebumps go up when we hear the word monolith is like, oh, and the easy advice would be, well, yeah, let's look at our recipe book. Of course, what you should be doing, you make everything microservices and serverless and agile, la, la, la. And of course, absolutely. Build an innovation lab. Exactly. Make an innovation lab, make everything serverless, yada, yada. <laughs> and of course, the real answer is absolutely not. Right. That is your core competence. Right. So what we ended up having is, is a very interesting discussion where it's like, all right, you made the right decision. That is your core competence. That is untouchable. But I said, hey, let's look at how the cloud maybe changes the equation. 
And I have one rule of game is I always like the customer to do the calculation. I like the customer to, to run the math, if you wish, to make the decision. I'd like to give them the decision model, but I like them to make the decision. So what I told them is, mm. look, this calculation, the parameters have changed a little bit. In the past, the cost of duplication was enormous and there would have been no sense in running this system in two instances because with manual operations and sort of maybe a little bit flaky infrastructure that will just be inviting sort of additional pain into your organization. However, on the cloud and especially in a transition scenario, the cost of duplication has gone down a lot. We have more reliable operations, we have automation, we have better transparency on how things are going. So you might want to rerun this calculation and see whether doing a transition state Running two instances might actually be a viable option because it allows you to move perhaps one instance to the cloud for those countries where you have regulatory approval and for the markets where that might still be pending, you have the other instance. And then maybe you know, over 12 months or so, you will sort that out, but you're 12 months ahead. And these are great examples where... You know, your current state, your current constraints come back into the equation. And that's why having a conscious strategy is so important. And it's not something you can copy from somebody else. I know other banks who operate in a single market happily or a small a Southeast Asian market. They don't have this problem. So the strategy is unique to you. And it should be if it's meaningful. A meaningful strategy, if you hand it to some other enterprise, they will say, that is really interesting, but it doesn't apply to us. That would be a good test for your strategy. Mm. Okay, there were so many good points in there. I'm going to try to summarize just three of my favorite ones. <laughs> it, uh, one was, and, and our colleague Miriam makes this point so often, and I think uh, we should make it more often. It's that we talk, we talk so often about kind of um, you know, being innovative and being agile and all of these things. And we make it sound like these kind of enterprises are at such a big disadvantage. But in fact, they have big advantages in terms of how they do business and, you know, their ability to execute. And it's really important to keep that in mind when you're formulating your strategy. Play into your advantages. Don't ignore those. Don't throw those away. Take the best of the new way of doing things, but keep your advantages. Yes. Also, um, treating the cloud as a data center a huge anti-pattern, as we called it, You're right? If you if you take all of your old policies and all of your old operating models and, and just put it in the data center, guess what? You're just renting a data center now. And, and when you don't get those advantages that everyone promised you, it's no one's fault but yours because you didn't take advantage of this new way of operating. And uh, and thirdly, this is a point, a point that um, our colleague Ashit has made in the past uh, very uh, um succinctly and, and very insightfully, it's that you can't cut and paste somebody else's uh, successful strategy uh, into your organization and expect it to just magically work. I actually call that cargo cult thinking. You know, you do a rain dance and you expect rain to happen. No, you need to understand yep. uh, why the strategy is successful and then build one that's custom tailored to your situation. 
Co correct. And, and the nuance there is, and where the cargo cult comes from, people will, it's actually a little bit worse if you wish, right? So they observe what other folks did. So they assume they had a strategy behind. They didn't actually see the strategy. They see what they did. And my classic example is always putting a free barista in your lobby is not going to transform you into a digital organization. Right. Nevertheless, I have seen more than one where they <laughs> give me the tour and say, hey, look, we have the barista. And they're very proud of it and I'm happy to get the free drink, I admit, right? right. But at some point you got to burst the bubble and say, I'm glad you put the barista in, <laughs> but there's a few more things we're going to want to talk about and do here. So, and that's where the cargo cult come in. It's ever so tempting. And you said in the beginning, right? Why do people have these, these wishes? And the answer is, of course, in the end, wishes are easy to make. Making them come true is, is much more difficult. So the, the advice I have for leadership and, and most of the conversations I have with leadership is don't tolerate wishes or empty promises. Right. So I think it's, it's very important that in the past, sort of we did, we did management by objectives. We like, yeah, IT would say like, okay, we're going to go to the cloud, we're going to do X, Y, Z, and we need this much money. And it had a clever name of like management by objectives. And it was sort of a, a sign of a good executive to not get too much involved, right? You're just like, okay, great. Here's how much time, how much money you get. Come back to me when the whole thing is done. That worked if the answer to this question would be, I buy a mainframe and it comes with a database and it comes with a COBOL application and we just, you know, turn a few dials and the thing is done. Because the option space was, was low, right? And it worked, right? Because the, the, the world was fairly narrow and stable. Now today, the option space is much, much bigger and the decisions folks will make in the strategy will have a massive impact mm -hmm. on what the business can do, right? My my example from before, they're like, oh, well, we didn't think Vietnam was a very interesting country. So we just like put two servers under the desks there somewhere. And then, you know, the business decides, well, Southeast Asia is, is like hot and bubbling. That's the place where we need to be. And IT says, oh, how big is your desk? Right? <laughs> how many servers How many servers can it fit? Right? And then business will, of course, go like, you must be out of your mind, right? Who, who, who decided this, right? And hence my strong appeal, right? This management by objective objective sounds really cute in the books and there was a time when this worked mm -hmm. today's it decisions are not the time to manage purely by objectives you need to understand the decisions that were made because those decisions will imply other constraints and as the business owner you want to know what those constraints are and i'll i'll, I'll throw in one more rabbit hole and that is the way I, the question is, if I sell you options, where do these options come from? Like, I, I, like I'm an option seller, right? As an architect, like, do I have the, the, let's stick with the rabbit. Do I have a magic hat where I pull out the options rabbit? Mm -hmm. And as I said, right, sometimes you, you pay for the options, but there's a last way I did not mention you also pay for the option. And that is you pay for an option you get by giving up an option that you won't have. Mm. Right. So you can't have everything. So let's say you want to run on many different platforms. So I was like, sure, I can do this. I give you an option to run in Java, let's say, right? It's like you have a JVM, right? Or you could do the same thing in Node. And with that, you will run on a Windows system, a Linux system, et cetera. Right. But I just taken the option from you to change the programming language. 
right? Because I picked you, I pegged you, I pegged you to Java. Mm -hmm. Now everything is undoable, right? You could say like, okay, I toss out the whole JVM and rewrite the whole thing in C sharp, right? But then, yeah, that is a whole different discussion. But basically what I did, I sold you one option by taking another one from you. And that as a business executive, you want to know which options I took from you. Because those might be more valuable to you than the one you're getting. And that is the marketplace. I love the analogy. That is the marketplace. And that's where the executives need to be actively involved. Mm. Okay. So we can we can understand all of these concepts. And, and we know that. And I think what, one thing you alluded to is something I believe very strongly as well, is that the bigger lever that we get with this technology namely the cloud, right? But it applies to any kind of transformative technology. The range of possible results becomes much bigger. You know, and the example that I use is, you know, the old way of doing IT basically up until a few years ago, uh, it was pretty easy to predict, you know, it's going to cost us between this number and this number to, to run our operations or IT operations. And that's reasonable and everyone kind of accepts it. But we're in this new era and it's not just because it's new. It's not just because it's unfamiliar. It's because of something else. And I think it's because we have more, many, many more options, almost limitless options when you think about it, and how we can implement our architectures and our operations once we're in the cloud, for example. Um, and so it becomes, as a consequence, it becomes so much more important to get it right, right? Like the, the, the cost of getting it wrong was, okay, we're 20% less efficient, 30% less efficient, for example. But in the cloud, man, that number, I don't even know what that number is, but it's a lot bigger right? You could, you could be a lot more efficient or you can be uh, a, <laughs> a lot less efficient depending on the competency of the people that are running your cloud operations and the architects that are building your systems. So given that that's true, right? I have a question here for you. Given that that's true and given that there's a shortage of people who have expertise in this area, what is the correct strategy for executives to manage this situation and to ensure that they're on the right side of that equation? Mm. And you're absolutely right. In the end, we've created, and AWS is, is a key part of this, we did create a lot of options, right? And that's fantastic for your business because each option has value, but choosing has become also more, more valuable, right? Because it's efficiency on one side of the equation, right? But it's also upside potential on the other side, right? What if you went down a road mm -hmm. where the scalability needs are not met? Now in the cloud, that's a, a rarer occurrence, right? But you can still you know, design things you know, that they don't scale as much as other routes you could have taken, right? And then it really hits your, your top line, not just your bottom line. So, so the question is, how do you deal with this, with this option space? And, and the first thing I like to remind folks of is, it might sound a little bit complicated, but it is totally not rocket science. It is simple decision discipline. This has nothing to do with understanding the nuances of, of your Lambda event configuration, right? This is not something <laughs> where, where you need to sort of read the manual of a specific product. It is good decision transparency and good decision discipline. So that is step number one. And that is very important because this will allow folks who would traditionally say, oh, I don't know all this IT stuff, right? I'm more like a business person. It does allow them to participate in the discussion. And as I said before, the marketplace cannot function if there's not a buyer and a seller, right? So they need to be in it. 
And probably sort of my, my happiest moments doing this with client organizations is actually to give the executives that confidence. Mm. Like I have a great success stories where, where CEOs, they're like all the way in, right? In terms of, oh, like, you know, tell me again, right? What are the choices here, the implications, the path we go, what options we give up, right? These are business discussions you should have had anyway. <laughs> so, so take it as a little bit of business advice oddly delivered by a technology vendor, right? But, you know, this is in the end healthy for your business anyway. And you can be assured your top executives will know that. Because when they run the business, their way of thinking is very different. And I come back to my favorite country, country Vietnam, right? It's like, in the end, yes, yeah, I have options. I sell other options. If I build out the markets in Vietnam, maybe I need to do Cambodia later, mm -hmm. right? It's like I give up one option to, to get another one, right? And let's say, what if the market doesn't pick up? What is, you know, so how easily can I scale up and down my options? When they run the business, right, they have exactly the same consideration. So inviting those folks into the IT discussion is a, a huge upside. Got it. Okay. Very good. Well, I think we've kind of just scratched the surface here. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of great material. I think our listeners are going to have to check out your book. I assume available on Amazon. So uh, definitely check it out. But I think also, I think we need to have you back so we can get a little bit more into kind of the execution part of this. Because, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the ideas. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are still wondering kind of what do I do about it? How can I act on this? So Gregory, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I hope we could do this again and dig a little deeper into some of these subjects. And uh, thank you so much. Yep, great. And the easy way, we, we live in connected time. So it's cloudstrategybook.com. And you know, there you have all the options if you want to read more. And I thank you just as well. Thank you. 